We are on the last days of fallen earth number 19. We're at the end of the book of Daniel, the last 25 verses of Daniel. And, and what we're going over today is regarded by scholars as the most detailed prophecy on end times in the Old Testament. And this angel, and I'm, I'm telling you it's disputed, if it's Gabriel, is still speaking here to Daniel, okay? And he skips an entire time period, verses 5 through 35, uh, he was going over the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, prophesying it in detail. Every war, every throne change, every, everything, that, everything that happened over there, the angel prophesies it in advance. Everything that happened between the Seleucid dynasty, which is listed as the king of the north, in verses 5 through 35, and the Ptolemy dynasty, which is listed as the king of the south. These were two of Alexander's generals. And they, their kingdoms turned into dynasties, 400-year dynasties. And so let me think here. Do we look at that? Yeah, we'll look at that. Daniel 11.35. Some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. So what we have in Daniel 11.35, this is where the account of the end times begins. He jumps forward. This angel jumps forward in time. And the phrase in verse 35, to try them and purge them, is referring to the seven years of the tribulation. You can see the phrase, for it is yet at that time appointed again, it says it. It's referring to the tribulation. Verse 36, and the king shall do according to his will. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods. And shall prosper to the indignation be accomplished. For that, that is determined shall be done. You can see that this is where he gets one of his names in the Bible, the Antichrist. He's called the willful king. From that phrase, he does according to his will. You have in the phrase, magnify himself above every God. You can see, if you look it up in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.4, he actually deifies himself, makes himself a God. And more or less, it's saying he declares war on Jesus Christ. And it says he speaks such marvelous things that people are astounded by his blasphemy. Then it says he shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. That's saying the world joins him in their hatred of God. It's so true. You look at these, the, the end of Revelation, there's seven bold judgments just... Oh, it's just amazing the pain they're in, these people are in, on people on earth. And they're cursing God all the way through it. Just cursing God. Daniel eleven thirty seven. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. This is talking about the Antichrist. Nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Many opinions that conflict in this verse. 
I'm going to try to give you most of them. Many scholars, many commentators believe because of the phrase, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, means they think the Antichrist is going to have his parents were Jewish or in the least Christian parents. A lot of scholars believe the Jews will accept him as their Messiah with a lot of the world thinking the same thing. Well, I mean, think about it. They have to worship him. The world has to worship him. They're going to have to bow down to the Antichrist. And so we've got scholars who think he's going to join Islam and Judaism together somehow. Because how does he get that tribulation temple built? Think about this. If he could do that, all the world has been looking for an answer for the conflict between Judaism and Islam for many, many centuries. And someone just comes along and does it for the time being. The phrase, nor the desire of women, a lot of opinions on this. Some scholars believe that he's going to be a homosexual. Other scholars believe that the, the phrase, the desire of women, is talking about Jesus Christ, because of course we have the prophecy in Isaiah 7:14 that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Genesis 49:10, that virgin would come from the tribe of Judah. It's a very Jewish phrase. I think uh, a lot of commentators that aren't paying attention to that phrase, because many, many Jewish girls or women in Israel desire, desire to be the ones selected to birth Jesus Christ. It's just something known in their culture. You've got a whole other set of scholars that believe the desire of women is talking about the Catholic Church and that he will come against the Catholic First, he, he has peace with the Catholic Church and then they think he's going to come against the Catholic Church. And these scholars think he's talking about the Catholic Church because of their high esteem of the Virgin Mary and the fact that they pray directly to the Virgin Mary. Many scholars believe that in the beginning, the Antichrist is going to embrace all religions. He will eventually reject all religions, and when he turns completely on Israel, three and a half years in, he will put down Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, all of them, because it does say in verse 37, he will magnify himself above all. Verse 38, but in his estate, he shall honor the God of forces. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold, silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. This is saying he's going to honor a God that no one knows. Some scholars believe it refers to the God of power and war. Another long, uh, long and it would be a lengthy explanation, I'll give you a quick one. A group of theologians believe it's referring to the strange God that it's talking about in the next verse. Um, a lot of people believe, it's, I've said this, that it's actually the same fallen angel that empowered Alexander the Great, that this God that he has. Uh, Daniel 11.39, Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many. And shall divide the land for gain. And so he's talking about dividing the land. 
lot of uh, passages in the Old Testament where God pronounces judgment on those that would even put forward proposals to divide the land of Israel. Our current administration is currently clamoring, if you're paying attention, to divide the land again, cut Jerusalem in half. This is why the Bible is very clear that you should pray for your leaders. I'm not taking one side or the other. George Bush handed away Gaza, hence Katrina. What a coincidence. And so you pray for your leaders. Pray for them to have wisdom. The phrase, thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, many theologians believe it's the same leopard-like creature that ascends out of the bottomless pit, and he's a revised version of what a lot of scholars believe helped Alexander conquer the world. This, uh, we put up this leopard image, who knows how many times you've seen it, I just, I just think it's cool, although it's, it is a fallen angel, though. It's a cool uh, picture, though. They, they, they believe this leopard was locked away in the bottomless pit after the death of Alexander. And they believe it's the same leopard that is seen in Revelation 2. You have revised form of this, this guy. John saw him with the feet of a bear carrying the traits of the Persian Empire with the mouth of a lion, which is carrying the traits of the Babylonian Empire. And so... Many, or I guess you could say some theologians and commentators believe this leopard that comes out of the bottomless pit is a revised version from the one that represented Greece and helped out Alexander. And they think this is that strange God that he pays, that the Antichrist pays homage to. And while he's thinking he's causing everyone to worship himself, the Antichrist, people are actually honoring this fallen angel. Daniel eleven forty, and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. The king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Remember, this angel has jumped forward in time. We're in the tribulation. This is telling us, and we know the king of the south is, in the older days, was the, the guy heading up Egypt. So this, this is what this is saying, and you're going to see it in coming verses. Egypt attacks the Antichrist. They attack him at that time. And so that, that's why many theologians believe Egypt will be one of the ten kingdom federations within the ten horns. The king of the north is one of the biblical names of the Antichrist. In verse 40, it says, it gives the Egyptians a staggering defeat in the phrase, he shall enter into countries. A good amount of commentators believe he overruns Greece and Turkey also. It's also the opinion of many, because he is referred to as the king of the north, that this will be his place of origin, which the Antichrist comes from. If we could just view that map that we looked at, I know I showed it in the boring one last Saturday night, um, but this is Alexander's kingdom split up, and this uh, Seleucid dynasty in yellow 
if you look at those countries, all right, many scholars believe that, that the Antichrist will come from one of these countries because of, because of what we just read, all right? That that will be his place of origin. Uh, a number of people believe, people that study these things for a living, you know, believe that, that he'll come either out of Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, um, although you see Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iran, but here's the, he won't come from there, we know he won't come from there, because that wasn't part of the old Roman Empire. The Bible also says that he's going to come from there. So that you really start to narrow it down. Um, they believe that what we're looking at in the yellow, outside of Afghanistan, um, Iran, and Pakistan will be what one of those countries he will come from. Daniel eleven forty one. He shall enter also into the glorious land. That's Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. So this verse is talking about halfway through the tribulation, he invades Israel, breaking the seven-year non-aggression pact. Many countries are going to be overthrown at this time. He's going to have a huge army located in multiple places. So scholars believe that parts of Europe will be overthrown at that point. But someone escapes him. Edom, Moab, and Ammon, Ammon. This is interesting because that's the country of Jordan. Most people figure that Jordan doesn't have that kind of power to withstand that kind of military onslaught. So somehow the Lord is going to protect Jordan. And the reason the Lord protects Jordan from the onslaught of the Antichrist armies is he'll have to do it supernaturally because this is the area of ancient Petra where the 144,000 Jews flee. They flee out of Israel into Jordan. It will be at this point that the Antichrist makes his bid for world domination. I believe that the Antichrist will think of Jordan at the time as inconsequential. Now, you say, why, why are we talking about this? We're not even here. Because what it does is it makes you look for the rapture. It makes you pay attention. And the Bible says if, you, if you're in faith, if you're looking for the rapture, it actually purifies you. And so Daniel eleven forty two through 45, he shall stretch forth his hand also, Upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Remember, we said Egypt attacked him, but but he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. So he keeps going into South Africa through Egypt. But tidings out of the east and out of the north trouble him. I never noticed this. Therefore, he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. He shall plant the tabernacles 
of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his inn, and none shall help him. Basically giving you a summary of these three verses we just read, uh, or four verses, Egypt actually was the first country that goes to war, and we just read about them. He, he does not only plunder Egypt, but it indicates he will claim to unlock many of the mysteries. I, th- I, I assume that's talking about of all the tombs and the pyramids and the mystery behind a lot of those things in Egypt that no one can figure out, and he very well might be able to do that. He has supernatural power. It also says in verse 43, he will overrun North Africa. I know a lot of theologians teach that the Antichrist will conquer the whole world, but, but the Bible, especially here in Daniel, is very clear on what parts of the world he controls. And there is no scriptural evidence that he overtakes any part of the United States, North or South American continents. He will exert heavy influence over the world. If you were to study what he control, he does control down to the country, which is the territory of the old Roman Empire, it would be England, Portugal, Spain, France, the Netherlands, Belgium, Switzerland, Italy, Austria, former Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, Romania, Greece, Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq. He'll defeat Israel three and a half years into the tribulation. You got Egypt, Libya, Algeria, Morocco, and all the countries in the Middle East. That is what he will, we know he will control. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 8, but I want to make something real clear here. Let no man deceive you by any means. This is, this is talking to the post-tribulation rapture people that teach that we're going to go through the tribulation. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, that a man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God. That tells you there's going to be a tribulation temple. Showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now we know that what that what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Let's look at this. Verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only it's working, but, but he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That's saying you're holding it back. He can't come until you're gone. We're gone. I'm not staying. If you look at the meaning of this, only he who now let means is hindering. Then you have the phrase, will let means will hinder. You're hindering him coming into the world. 
He cannot come in, okay, until we're raptured. It's, it's very clear that, that he, in the phrase, until he be taken out of the way, refers to the church being raptured away. It's talking about the church. While it's here, it hinders evil until it's raptured away. Then the evil one comes in. Verse, verse 2-8, then shall the wicked be revealed after you're taken out of the way. So it's very clear just from the scripture alone, and there's others on the Final Hour podcast just this coming week. We've got two other very clear scriptures pointing the fact that we are not here. New Testament scriptures in the tribulation, we are not here. Let me be clear on this. Some have claimed that the pronoun he, in verse 7, be taken out of the way, refers to the Holy Spirit. These are the post-trib rapture people, you know. They think that we're all going through the tribulation. And that's not correct. If there's going to be millions of people saved during the time of the tribulation, and the Bible is very clear about that, Scripture and Revelation, we cover it, again, in the podcast. It's very clear. There will be people in the tribulation that the Bible says they have the seal of God on them. In the fifth trumpet judgment, there are these little, maybe big things. We don't know. Maybe, maybe as big as a man. It says they have, they, uh, the Bible calls them locusts, but... They, they, they have the body of a horse, and they've actually got armor. The head of a man, hair of a woman, tail of a scorpion, and they can fly. And their wings make a lot of noise. And when they sting, they can sting anyone they want, except those uh, with the seal of God. So that's telling us, after three and a half years into the tribulation, there's still going to be people running around that have not gotten the mark, right? They haven't rounded all them up yet. And so these things can only steal. They, 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 can't, they can't sting those people. And so they'll sting them, and they'll be in such pain for five months, the Bible says they'll try to kill themselves, and they won't be able to. So you have people jumping off buildings to relieve themselves from pain, and they won't be able to die because I believe from the technology of the mark of the beast. You know, they, it, the mark is, they're going to tell you it comes with a lot of neat things, right? Uh, ex, uh, expanded lifetime and youth renewed. And, and so that's the fifth trumpet judgment. But from that judgment, we know there's people in the tribulation that are saved. Or it would not be possible for them to be saved if the Holy Spirit wasn't here. And what's the reason? The Bible's clear. The Holy Spirit anoints the word of God. It says in John 16, 7 through 11, convicts the sinner of his lost condition. Conviction. Condition. It's the Holy Spirit who does the work of the rebirthing of your spirit man into being a Christian. John 3, 3 through 8. The Holy Spirit is going to be down here on earth because if he's not, the spirit of those people that are saved can't be regenerated. You know, born again. He does that work in your spirit, man. That's just my opinion. 
we're, I mean, we're not going to be here, so we're okay. The Holy Spirit is here. You know, continuing to break down verse 44 and 45 of chapter 11, it's talking about the Antichrist attacking Israel, defeating Israel, and it seems as if they are going to be eliminated completely, but then it says, tidings out of the east and the north shall trouble him. In verse 44, it's referring to the fact that in the middle of his invasion of Israel, before he can wipe them off the face of the earth, other countries come against him. And he has to stop what he's doing with Israel and direct his armies at these other nations. And there's a phrase that says, to utterly make away many, which says he gets a quick victory over these other nations. It seems as if from these verses, as the Jews are fleeing, and we know to Petra in Jordan, a lot, many people believe he doesn't even get through the whole city of Jerusalem, all right? He, can't, he, he doesn't take the whole city. That It says the tidings that interrupted his extermination of the Jewish people, um, it says in Revelation 12, 16, listen to this. The earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Theologians believe this is referring to a gigantic earthquake, a timely earthquake which takes place while Israel is on the run out of Jerusalem. And it interprets the Antichrist bid. It causes the army have to back off. Remember, Jordan's saved now for some reason. He can't go into Jordan. Remember we talked about that? And so that this, this all just kind of lines up together. Many people believe that the phrase, <clears throat> excuse me, in Revelation 12, 16, swallow up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. If it is truly an earthquake, the ground opens up and swallows up a piece of his army. Scholars believe that these nations that come against him, at the same time, I should say, scholars think it's, they think it's Russia and China and either Japan or South Korea. They're just looking at the strong nations militarily. Russia, it says, one's from the north, one's from the east. Well, Russia's from the north, China's from the east, South Korea's from the east, Japan's from the east. But he takes care of them. You know, they, they, they look at him and say, this, they're watching him and saying, someone's got to stop him. So they, they do a union, and he defeats them, and so, but you know, a lot of people think that the, the, the sixth trumpet judgment, the 200 million, uh, army of 200 million in the sixth trumpet judgment is the Chinese, and they have, they have uh, four demons behind them that they exterminate one-third of the world. So people think, oh, naturally, this is the Antichrist armies, right? But a lot of people think, if you look at the description, uh, that they're actual demons. Um, it's just interesting watching. Have, how many of you have heard of the computer, the computers that's coming up with its own language now? And Raise your hand if you've seen that. It's, it's, it's what's going on, and uh, it's, it's, it's like growing up like a human. And uh, 
At the same time, you know, you've got the Chinese trying to develop like a superhuman soldier. At the same time, they just invented uh, real human skin, live human skin. Are you, are, you, are you going there with me? We, you just don't know what this is going to be, but um, we don't know if it's the Chinese. The Chinese could be aligned with him, or you know, they could come against him. It actually says he makes his palace in the glorious holy mountain, and that is Mount Moriah where the tribulation temple is located. As we see that he, he is destroyed, and we know, all know that's the battle of Armageddon. That was the end of verse 45. You know you've got the millennialist who believe there is no rapture, saying that these passages have already been fulfilled. They, they, they believe the church is going to be so powerful that we're going to usher in the second coming of Christ, that we're going to win over the world politically. We're going to rule the world. They believe all this has already happened. And it was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes. But that's just disproven because we know Antiochus Epiphanes from history died in Persia at the place called Tabor. So that's not the monarch to who this scripture is speaking about. Daniel 12.1, at that point, shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. This verse is quoted by Jesus Christ when he talks about the last half of the 70th week, the tribulation in the book of Daniel. In Matthew 24, 15, Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, it would be a time of trouble and horror that the world has never seen and will never see again. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9 says, two out of three Jews will die during this time. In verse one, it's calling Michael a great prince. At this point, stands up, which you have him as the protector of the nation of Israel a lot in the Old Testament. The phrase, your people shall be delivered, is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, which rescues Israel at the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation. Verse 2, Daniel 12, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth. So now we kind of go into immediately what happens after. Keep in mind, at least four from the judgments, four to, there's eight billion people on earth right now. We don't know how many are going in the rapture, but at if there's eight billion people, if you add up the judgments, at least six billion of those people are dead, okay? That's after we're gone. Six billion people on earth. So this verse, 12, Two, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So verse two is talking about the coming resurrection. It's these resurrections. It's referring to everlasting life giving, given to us by Christ, what he did on the cross. These are the ones, you know, who will be part of that. And then the other one, uh, resurrection of life in Revelation 20, verse 5, John 5, 29. And then the phrase, some to shame and everlasting content, refers to the resurrection of damnation, remember, which pertains to all unsaved people because they've never been 
resurrected yet, right? That's John 5, 29. Just a side note, we all know that the spirit and the soul are eternal parts of man which never die. Physical death is not referring to the spirit and the soul because they aren't physical. Paul uses the word dissolved, referring to the human body, which means it actually dissolving, even though the human body was made to live forever originally, but then you had the fall of man at the Garden of Eden, and because of that fall, the physical body is going to have to be replaced with an indestructible body, whether for heaven or for hell. And that will be done at the resurrection. Remember, when the rapture comes before we are taken, it first takes the bodies of the dead. You, you, have you guys seen that? Daniel 12, 3. And they that be wise shall shine as thy brightness, the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn away many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This verse simply means there will be no end of the incredible life for those that go to heaven and no end to the shame and contempt for those who don't go to heaven. That's the reason it's called everlasting life. Verse four, and we have the angel saying to Daniel, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. The scripture is saying Daniel has been given a complete breakdown of the fate of Israel and is referring to the fact that most of the prophecies given to Daniel will be fulfilled at the time of the end. Everything we've read today gets done at the end. And as you can see, just what we read today, these, these, none of this has happened. This verse is also saying that in the end, there will be great advancement of knowledge. Well, can you see that? I believe this is talking about the technology and also it's referring to an advancement to more of an insight into the proper interpretation of these end time prophecies. Verses five and six. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, there stood other two, the one on one side of the bank of the, of the river, the other on the other side of the bank of the river, and then there's one in the middle. One said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? Well, many scholars think this is Jesus Christ above the waters, but, but there's no proof. We don't know that for sure. Verse 7, and I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when, we, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half, and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, and all these things shall be finished. So now we have one of these references to three and a half years, and this is referring to the last half of the great tribulation, where time means a year, times means two years, and a half is referring to six months. This verse is also referring to the Antichrist attempting to eliminate Israel, but is only able to scatter them. Verse 8, I, I, and I heard, but I understood not. Then I said, I, oh my Lord, what shall be the end? What's going to happen after that? That's what he says. You have Daniel asking the question. He wants to know what's going to happen after the three and a half years. Verse 9, and he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time and the end. 
And many commentators believe that Daniel is being told this will be his last vision that he is given, that he'll soon be called to heaven. And the fact that it says, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end, is saying these prophecies belong to the future. Verse 10, many shall be purified, made white, and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. In a way, it's referring to the church age, which Daniel would have no idea about that. It's also saying that the world will not understand this vision. It wouldn't even care about it. But it says, the wise shall understand. That's you. The wise shall understand. Verse 11, and from the time that daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that make it desolate set up, there shall be a 1,290 days. Why do they want to do this in the last three verses with these days? But it's pointing again to the invasion of Israel by the Antichrist. When he makes the temple his palace, takes away the daily sacrifices, the abomination that makes desolate set up is referring to the Antichrist, sets up a statue of himself in the tribulation temple and demands that he be worshipped. The whole deal in verse 11, from the time the Antichrist is, from the time the Antichrist takes away the daily sacrifices, says you guys can't do that anymore, and then he, he sets up his palace on the Temple Mount, puts in an, a statue of himself, and till the very end, from that time till the very end, is now it's 1290 days? There's so many takes on this, because three and a half years is 1260 days. So now we've got an extra 30 days. Theologians are presuming that maybe it takes 30 days to do the uh, judgment of the nations, the sheep and goat nations. Uh, Christ doesn't just set up a kingdom in two weeks. You know, he's setting up his kingdom, right? There's a lot to do. A lot, and this is what that extra 30 days is for. A lot of commentators argue that some aspect, you know, this, this is the 30 days. But then it gets worse in verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to 1,305 and 35 days. So now, right before we're supposed to end, we've got 45 more days tacked on the extra 30 days. And again, it's believed this could be the time when the Lord is judging the sheep and goat nations, and I'm just going to be straight, theologians have no idea about this. Um, I'm reading, you know, the ones I'm reading about says the judgment, the sheep and the goat nations, and he's setting up his kingdom, and and no one, you know, you think about, you've got, the Jews are going to help him rule and reign down here, correct? Right? That's what, that, you know, dad says we're going to be elsewhere. Okay? And that's an argument we'll just find out uh, about, you know, when that time comes. But, but you know, he's going to have to place leaders in different countries. Think about the, 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 the destruction. The earth is just destroyed. The waters are poisoned. All, all over the earth by the end, because of the judgments, there's no clean water on the whole earth. 
One scholar did a calculation having to do with the tribe of Levi, and he says the Levites are going to have to bear the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders from Axum to Jerusalem, and that time takes 30 days. But that's all just conjecture. You know, bringing the Ark into the temple. Well, a lot of people believe it's already there, you know, hidden in tunnels underneath that old temple that Solomon built actually a lot of like labyrinths under the temple and that Jews would hide the ark when they thought it was going to be taken. It's all conjecture. We can't know it all. But uh, verse 13, but go thou thy way till the end be. So this is why they think he's close to the end of his life. For thou shalt rest, tells, they tell Daniel, and stand in thy lot at the end of days. So ends the book of Daniel. We are done. Hallelujah. And so I thought for a few books there, maybe I had bitten off more than I could chew, but we got through it, did we not? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and close with communion. And I was taking communion myself this week. And a lot of times I do it right out of a book called Health and Wholeness Through Holy Communion by Joseph Prince. Because you really just, you never stop learning about communion in this 90-page book. But, uh, so I'm just going to, I can't say it this well. As you guys can just go ahead and start passing that out. So I'm just going to read it right out of the book. It's, these words are incredible, right? And something to remember when you take communion on your own, all right? It says, in the midst of spiritual attack, we will experience victory when we believe what Jesus did on the cross is greater than any attack of the devil. And once we realize how much Jesus suffered so that our bodies can be made whole, you will be confident that partaking of his broken body will bring healing to your body. If you still find it hard to believe that eating a little piece of bread can bring your body health and wholeness, let me point you back to the Garden of Eden. There, Adam merely ate a piece of fruit and plunge the whole human race into sin. And so was what brought disease and ultimately death. So God, in his mercy and wisdom, devised a perfect solution. Since the simple act of eating by Adam brought disease and death, he ordained that the simple act of partaking of a piece of bread can bring health and wholeness. And so, don't take it yet, right? But when, when we take it, I always do it. I hear him say it. He says it. I try to picture what he would sound like. Take, eat. This is my body, Jim, which is broken for you. See his eyes burning with love as he says to you, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. See the Lord carrying all your sins and diseases. We can put the sculpture up. 
He took your sins in his body on the cross. See him taking on his body your physical conditions. If you have a tumor, see the tumor on his body. He bore it. Whatever disease you might have, see it on or in his body. It is no longer on you. See his health come to you. Surely he bore your sins and carried your diseases. So as you partake, release your faith in the bread. Hallelujah. So, listen now. Say, repeat after me. Say, thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. It is for my healing, my spouse's healing, my children's healing. Thank you that by your stripes, the beatings you bore, by the lashes which fell on your back, we are completely healed. I believe I receive. Now take the bread. after me say thank you Jesus for the new covenant cut in your blood your blood has brought me forgiveness and washed me from every sin I thank you that your blood has made me righteous and as I drink I celebrate and partake the inheritance of the righteous which is preservation, healing, wholeness, and prosperity. Thank you, Jesus. I love you because you first loved me. He took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant cut in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Our youth is renewed as eagles. I thank you, Lord, that living word shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon them. That you drop your power on the congregation of living word like a hammer. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.